I told the morning congregation that, um, well, first thing I told them was I loved them, and I want to tell you the same thing. And uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes I preach real strong, that, but I preach strong because I love you, uh, because I think the Master has instructed me at various times to, to, to preach in a strong way. Uh, but I want to tell you first that I love you, and, and uh, thank you for coming, thank you for being here, thank you for worshiping with us. It's a great joy to see people from all over the world come and praise our great God, is it not? Is it not? Um, C.S. Lewis said, if you're doing your sums wrong, you're going to get the wrong answer. Um, on the face of it, it's not the most profound thing anyone ever said, but in relation to the context about what I'm going to talk about tonight, um, there's a simple genius to it. Um, he's saying, if your presuppositions are, are wrong, if your assumptions are incorrect, if your logic is invalid and your methodology faulty, if your arithmetic is flawed, you will always get the wrong answer. Always. Over and over and over and over again. If you're doing your sums wrong, you're going to get the wrong answer. What I want to say to you right at the outset, I, I, I dare say that some of us in here are doing our sums wrong. I dare say that some of us are. I think we may have faulty presuppositions. And we may be getting the wrong answers in our lives. Um, we're going to begin with a little audience participation. No pressure. No pressure on your part. But I'm going to start. I'm going to read. Uh, what I want to do is read two scripture passages. And I want you to tell me which one you believe is closest to getting their sums right. And which one is obviously not getting their sums right. Uh, I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 12. The first few verses right bef the, before the the verses that Keith read to you, Luke chapter 12, and I'm going to read verses 16 to 19. I want you to hear what the Lord Jesus says. He tells the parable, verse 16, Luke chapter 12, and Jesus told them a parable saying, the land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, so you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. <clears throat> okay, I want to read another biblical account to you. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Listen to this account. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. <clears throat> and Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and began to observe how the multitude were putting money into the treasury and how many rich people were putting in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two copper coins which amounted to a cent. And calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors into the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she out of her, own, out of her poverty put in all that she owned, all that she had to live on. Okay, let me ask. Who's closest to getting their sums right? That man or that woman? Now here's the hard question. Which illustration that I just read more closely resembles how you do your sums? Are your presuppositions more in line with the man who's hoarding up or with the woman who is a free channel of blessing 
everything God gives her, God is, God is just flushing through her. and she's, she's, a, she's an open channel of God's blessing to, to those around her. I know every single day that you get up, the world tells you that you should hoard up as much money as you can. I know that that is the incessant message of uh, all of the investment houses and that, that is the prudent and wise thing to do. Well, let's stop listening to the world just for a minute while we're in, in here worshiping as the body of Christ and let's see what God says about that. And if you, if you just keep going here, I'm going to pick up here in Luke chapter 12, verse 20. This is what God says about hoarding up wealth. This is God's opinion. Verse 20, God said to him, You fool. There's an exclamation point in my Bible. It's the NAS. It's the most literal English translation from the Greek. God says, You fool. This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. God says the man who spends his life building barns and hoarding up wealth, God says unambiguously, He says that man is what? He's a fool. This is what God says. This is what God says. I know the world says you got to hoard up as much as you can. God says my children don't live like that. Now what did the Lord Jesus about the woman, the, the, the widow that, poured, that threw in her last penny and I'm going to borrow a quote from John Piper here. He talks about this woman's hazardous liberality. Don't you love that? Her hazardous liberality. Because when she throws that penny in there, it's not about theology and, and, and liturgy and, and doctrine. And it, it, it's about dinner. And she throws it in because her God is a faithful God. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, when you discover you're doing your sums wrong, the best thing to do is stop doing them wrong. And what I want to say to you, if some of you in here are doing your sums wrong, I'm going to challenge you tonight to stop doing them that way. Lewis says you need to stop doing them wrong and you need to start over. Some of us in here probably need to start over. Some of us in here need to learn how to do our sums the way God teaches His children to do their sums. There's a reason that 16 of Christ's 38 parables speak to money and wealth. <laughs> There's a reason Jesus taught more about money and wealth than He taught about heaven and hell combined. There's a reason that one theologian estimates that 15% 15, 15% of everything Jesus said had to do with money and wealth. The Bible contains 2,000 references to money and wealth twice as much as to faith and prayer. So why does God give so much ink to money, wealth, possessions, success. Because it's a God. Is it not? Is it not a God in this world? Money, success, possessions. Is it not a God? And, and money has, a way, it has a, this insidious way of enslaving and ensnaring the human heart. It's a big deal for us. Jesus says in Matthew 6.24, No one can serve two masters. You know this, don't you? No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will hold to the one and despise the other. God says uncategorically, you cannot serve me and money. You cannot do it. And what I want to say to you is there might be some in here who are trying to do both. God says you can't do both. So you've got to make up your mind. You've got to make up your mind. Are you going to serve the world and money or are you going to serve the living God? It's up to you. God lets you decide, right? God lets you decide. 
He lets you decide. John Piper says, laying up treasures in heaven and laying up uh, treasures on earth are not good bedfellows. You have to choose between them. You cannot honestly say, I will do both. They are mutually exclusive. They are mutually exclusive. God says you decide. Paul wrote to the Colossians, uh, chapter 3, verse 2, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. But God says you decide. God says you decide. Will you love the things of the world or will you love me? And the things of heaven. But you can't do, somebody tell me, both. You can't do both. And you have to decide. So the question for you and I today is where is our heart? Who owns our heart? The world or the living God? So the bottom line about your money is that it's not about your money. It's about your God. Because what you do with your money, your priorities with it, your view of it, your anxiety about it, your practice in giving it, it all has to do with how you view God. This is why God gives so much ink to this issue. It's how you see Him. That's what will determine how you spend and give and use and think about your money. It's nothing less than that. It's how you see God. How you see God. MacArthur, John MacArthur said it so well. He said, the credibility of our Christianity is at stake in the way we handle what God gives to us. I think that's very true. And so as we move toward communicating the purpose and vision of the International Church of Milan, we're spending just a few weeks to talk about some of the principles that undergird this church. The first thing we talked about, you may remember, was that we are uncompromising on the Word of God. We will not compromise the Word of God. We stand on it. And we preach it all, we teach it all, even the parts that don't go down easy. And we seek to live the Word of God. We are like Daniel, we've made up our minds. We've made up our minds. We stand with God. Uh, the second thing we talked about was that we actually believe God is who He says He is. He is, in fact, El Shaddai. Does everybody know what El Shaddai means? He is God Almighty. Right? We believe it. We believe He is who He says He is. And so if we have to step in front of a giant, this is not a big problem for us because El Shaddai is standing right there with us, right? We saw it last week with David. Our God is a faithful God with a raging love for His children and He'll never let us stand in front of a giant without Him, right? Never. It will never happen. He's a good and gracious and faithful God and He comes to His people. And if we have to step in front of a giant, praise God, because He has not given us a spirit of timidity. He's not given us a spirit of timidity. The third thing I want to talk to you about tonight that undergirds, the third principle that undergirds this church, not only is our God El Shaddai, <laughs> He is Yahweh Yireh, which is the Hebrew, and you guys will know the, the, the English translation. Uh, it'll be more familiar to you. He is Jehovah Jireh, and I absolutely love this name for God. And friends, what I want to say to you, if you're still doing your sums wrong, God is going to tell you tonight to stop, and He's going to tell you why you need to stop, and you need to stop because He's Jehovah Jireh. That's why you need to stop. That's why you need to stop doing your sums like the world. We need to throw out our faulty assumptions and our flawed presuppositions. Let me ask you, if you're still building those barns, if you're still laying up treasure for yourself, if you're still seeking the things of the world, I'm going to ask you to stop tonight. And God's going to challenge us from His Word to stop. So why is it that sons and daughters of the living God do not have to hoard up? Why is it that, that sons and daughters of the living God do not have to lay up treasure for ourselves? Why is it that we no longer have to seek the things of the world? Why are all these things true about us? 
<laughs> you already know. Jehovah Jireh. That's why. Jehovah Jireh. God expects His children to do their sums correctly. Don't uh, be deceived. God is checking on you. He knows how you're doing your sums. He expects you to do your sums correctly and He expects you to do them by His arithmetic. He expects you to, to do uh, uh, your sums by His arithmetic. How many of you know what a theorem is? Anybody know what a theorem is? Okay, some of the smarter people know what that is. Uh, I had to look it up. I was telling the congregation this morning I had to look it up. A theorem is just, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a proven statement of truth in mathematics. It's a proven proposition. It's a principle, an axiom. It's a, it's a comprehensive and fundamental law. So you know, what, you know what God's proven proposition is? I am Jehovah Jireh. I am faithful to my people. I will provide. Friends, this is why you and I can be extravagant givers. Because our God is an extravagant giver. Our God is an omnipotent giver. When do you ever see in the Bible that God's not giving? God has given. He's even given His Son. He even spilled His own blood for His people. Friends, God is an omnipotent giver. I love, you know where the, the, the term Jehovah Jireh comes from? It's Genesis 22 when, when Abraham was called to make that great sacrifice and Abraham was willing to make that great sacrifice and he stepped up to the plate and he was going to make that great sacrifice but then God gave Isaac right back to him. He said, he said, oh, there's a ram in the bush. God provided. And Abraham said, oh my God, it's Jehovah Jireh. I thought I was going to have to make this great sacrifice but even in sacrifice He provides. I love this. If I, if I seem a little excited, I am. Because I love this about God. I love this about God. You know what Jehovah Jireh means? I will see to it is one literal translation of the Hebrew. God says, I will see to it. Let me ask you, Christian friend, do you believe God will see to it? I know the world doesn't believe it, but the shocking thing is how many people in the church do not seem to believe that God can be trusted? There's a great poverty in the church today. Friends, I don't want us to be like that. I don't want us to be like that. Our God is Jehovah Jireh. Let me tell you some, some other things that God says that, that, that's, that's implicit in that name. As I went to the Hebrew lexicon, listen to what some of the other things it says. You know what it says? It says God's paying attention. How many of you believe God's paying attention in your life? Okay? Uh, it connotes that He will become personally involved in the lives of His children. How many of you actually believe that God is personally involved in your life. It expresses the idea that God will come and give aid and support to His children. How many of you believe that about God? And it carries this idea that God will become visible and He will show Himself. He will show Himself to His people. Friends, you got to love this. Do you really believe that's true about God? Does anyone here really believe it? Let me tell you, if you really believe it, then what Jesus says, what you heard Keith read in Luke chapter 12, it's altogether reasonable. If you really believe Jehovah Jireh is who He says He is, then what you heard, those words being read in Luke chapter 12, it's altogether reasonable. And I'm just going to summarize what Keith read. I'm not going to read all the way down through the text. Verse 22, Jesus says, Stop being anxious for everything. What are you anxious about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear? He says, Consider the lilies. Consider the ravens. If God so raised the grass in the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will He clothe you? And then He gets to the heart of the matter, doesn't He? He says, O oh, men of little faith. 
friends, I'm going to challenge you. Every time you walk in this door, I'm going to challenge you to stop being a child of God with little faith. If you walk in here with little faith, I am always going to challenge you to walk out with greater faith. And we're all on a pilgrimage. We're all learning God correctly. We're all, we're all trying to, 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 to apprehend the fullness of faith. It's a pilgrimage for every one of us in here. We're all in different places. But I'm always going to challenge you to take that next step. Always. 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 And Jesus says, Jesus says, verse 29, says, Don't seek what you shall eat and stop worrying about everything. How many of you have been worried this week about some financial concern? Jesus says, stop doing that. My kids don't live like that. Your Father knows what you need. Verse 31, but seek for His kingdom. These things shall be added to you. In verse 32, I told the congregation this morning there are about a hundred sermons in here in verse 32 by itself. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you everything. How many of you believe it? I, he says, I'm going to give you the kingdom of God. Verse 33, uh, sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves purses which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Brothers and sisters, I want to say to you tonight, if you are anxious, if you are worried, if you are insecure, if you're concerned about your money, I want to tell you you're doing your sums wrong and when you walk out of here, I want you to start using God's arithmetic. No more world arithmetic. You use God's arithmetic when you walk out of here. That's my challenge for you. I want you to plug Jehovah Jireh into your formula. Okay? I want you to plug Him in and I want you to learn how to be rich toward God, not rich in the things of the world. That's what I want for you. You know, I don't preach about giving and money because the church needs your money. Obviously, any church has to have money to function. But you know why I preach it? Because I don't want you to go through your life and not be rich toward God. That's why I preach it. I'll preach this sermon about once a year. And I preach it because I want you to spend the very few moments you have on this earth becoming rich toward God. I don't want you to be deceived by the world. I don't want you to be deceived. Friends, God is a giver. What has He not given to us? He just says, I'll give you everything. I've given you the kingdom. I've given you my Son. He is an inexhaustible giver. He is an irrepressible giver. He is an omnipotent giver. And He expects us to be the same. He expects His children to emulate Him in that. And here's God's arithmetic. Let me just read a couple of verses to you. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. God says, Honor the Lord from the first of your wealth and from the first of all your produce so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Malachi 3, 10. Bring in the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Luke 6.38 Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. That's God's math. That's God's arithmetic. That's God's presuppositions. Are they, are they yours? <laughs> are they yours? About a year ago, uh, a man in this church no longer with us uh, He's moved on, but he, uh, he crashed into Luke 6.38, that verse I just read you about give and it will be given to you. And, and he wrote me this great email, and he started out by saying, wow, and I love it. I, always get, I love those wow emails, right? 
And so he starts out by saying, wow, but then he says this, we are variable in God's e equation for blessing. We are not just a bunch of empty paper sacks running around hoping God will accidentally drop a blessing inside. We actually have an influence, I love this, in the blessing supply chain. Do you love that? You know this guy's a businessman, right? <clears throat> or in the military. He says we actually have influence in the blessing supply chain. Then he says this, Jesus says we can choose to what degree God tips his wrists when he pours blessing into us. Do you not love that? Give, and it will be given unto you. This is God's math. I love the imagery here. That man was an aggressive giver. He was a, an aggressive giver. He wasn't hit and miss, and it wasn't spare change. It was systematic, and it was sacrificial. Here's a man on his way to being rich toward God. Here's a man who'd made up his mind that he was going to bring in the first of his produce, he was going to bring in uh, the whole tithe, he was going to bring in, uh, he was going to give in, in a way that was, that was measured and pressed down and shaken together. His giving reflected who he believed God was. This is what I'm challenging to see tonight. His giving reflected his view of God. Let me ask you, beloved, what does your giving say about your view of God? What does your giving say about how you see God? Friends, if you're being miserly with God <laughs> as your pastor, I want to say with all the love I can muster, uh, you need to stop. God's not losing anything. You are. You are. You are. If you're doing your sums wrong, Lewis says you need to stop. And you need to start doing correctly. Good advice. I want to show you what it's supposed to look like, okay? And we're going to go to the Old Testament to see this. Uh, Exodus 35. You might turn with me uh, to, if, if you want to. Exodus 35. You don't really have to, but uh, if you'd like, you can. Exodus 35, verse 4 and 5. Moses spoke to the congregation, the sons of Israel, and he says, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. The Lord has commanded His people to support His work. The Lord commands this. I don't think any of you probably would, would debate me about that. The Lord commands His people to bring in an offering. Look at verse 5. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is what? Someone tell me. Whoever is what? Willing. Willing. <laughs> Who's ever willing of heart? I love this. You're going to see this six times in this chapter. Whoever's willing, let him bring it uh, in as the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, bronze, etc., etc., etc. Whoever is willing of heart. Now, I've shared my view with you before. I'm going to come off the text just for a minute about tithing. I think the principle of tithing is an excellent principle. I just don't believe the New Testament Christian is under law. I don't think we're under law. You may disagree with me on that. You may believe that you're, you're, you're uh, constrained by the Word of God to bring in the tithe. That's fine. We will happily receive it. Okay? But I don't personally believe that the New Testament Christian is called to tithing. I don't believe we're called to law giving. I think we're called past law giving. I think we're called to free will giving. And I don't think we're constrained by 10%. You know, the problem with tithing is many Christians think, well, I give my first 10% and I'm done. Friends, <laughs> no. That's not being rich toward God. What did Jesus say? Sell your possessions and give to charity. We'll talk about that verse in just a minute. 
We, friends, uh, New Testament Christians, we're called to give from desire. We're called to give from, from free will and, and, and from our heart. And I want to turn real quick over to 2 Corinthians. You don't have to go there with me. But this is what I believe the New Testament is teaching about giving for the New Testament Christians. 2 uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. You know what Paul said. He said, you know, you want to sow sparingly, okay. But if you sow sparingly, what's going to happen? You're going to reap sparingly. But what he says is, uh, if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. Look what he says in verse 7. Let each one do just what his pur- he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly and under compulsion, for cause, because God what? What does God love? A cheerful giver. Listen, friends, if you're tithing right now, but you hate it, stop. If you're doing it under compulsion, if you're doing it in some obligatory, perfunctory way, stop. Because God is not pleased. God is not pleased with that kind of giving. God wants you to give with a free heart. God wants you to give because you cannot not give. You understand what I'm saying? This is what Christians are called to. God wants you to give because you can't help yourself. Because who He is and what He's done. And He's Jehovah Jireh. And Paul goes on, he says, verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. And one of the ladies in the North service, I said, what's God saying? And she said it so well. She said, you can't outgive God. That's what God's saying. You can't outgive Him. Anybody believe it? You can't outgive Him. You can't outgive God. You can't outgive Him. God calls us to be fully persuaded givers, friends. We are to be fully persuaded givers that we can give extravagantly and radically because our God is, someone tell me, Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. Back to Exodus. Back to the Exodus passage. Back to the Exodus passage. And I want you to hear the refrain here. And I'm just going to go through it very quickly. Verse 21. And everyone whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was moved came and brought a contribution. Verse 22. And all whose hearts were moved, they brought a contribution. Verse 29, and the Israelites, all of the men and women whose hearts were moved, uh, they brought material and they brought a free will offering. Uh, Chapter 36, verse 2, and Moses called all the skillful workers and everyone whose heart was stirred within him, they came to do the work. Verse 3, down at the bottom of verse 3, and they still continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. Verse 5, And the workman said to Moses, The people are bringing much more than enough for the construction work which the Lord commanded us to perform. Verse 6, and I love this verse. So Moses issued a command and a proclamation was circulated throughout the camp saying, Let neither man nor woman any longer perform work for the contributions of the sanctuary. Thus, the people were restrained from bringing any more in. And friends, one night I need to stand up here and I need to say, Stop bringing your money! We have too much. We have plenty to buy that building we need to buy. Don't bring any more. That's what it's supposed to look like. That's what it's supposed to look like. And Moses uh, had to restrain the people because the material was sufficient for all the work. Friends, these are people with a willing heart, a moved heart, a stirred heart. And I want to say to you, you know, last week we saw, we saw that David was able to step in front of that giant because his heart was raging for God. He loved God. He, he was stirred and he was moved. And I want to say to you, if, you learned, if you've learned God correctly, 
your heart will be stirred and your heart will be moved. I love Romans 8.32. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? We're studying about George Mueller in the North Men's Bible Study and taking a few weeks off just, just to look at this account of Mueller. And, uh, Paul, I think I did my math right. My, I'm not good on my British coinage. I check with Paul on this. And if I'm wrong, you let me know, Paul. But this woman was paid, uh, this was back in the 18th century uh, or 19th century. I don't remember. Anyway, uh, she was paid four shillings a week, okay? And uh, I, that's my understanding. It's about 40 cents a week. And, and uh, she had received an inheritance from her dad. She received 100 pounds. Now, this 100 pounds would be equivalent to about five years' wages, if my math's correct. Now, you check with Paul if you want the, the skinny on that, because he'll know for sure. But shillings to, to pounds, you know, that's... Anyway, I think that's five years' wages. She brought this 100 pounds, and she gave it to Mueller. <laughs> and Mueller wouldn't take it. He says, you're weak, you're old, you're sickly. You may need this money. And he sent it back to her. She brought it back to him. He says, I'm not taking your money. You're sickly, you're weak, and you're old. You may need this money. And she was getting a little angry. And this is what she said. I have weighed it well. The Lord Jesus freely shed His precious blood for me, a poor, lost sinner. And shall I not in return show my love and my gratitude to Him by giving Him this little sum? Rather than uh, this orphan work should not come to pass, I would readily give every penny I possess toward it. You know what that is, friends? <laughs> it's a moved heart. That's a stirred heart. That's what that is. That's not law giving. That's a, that's a moved heart. That is a stirred heart. That's what real Christian giving looks like. One of the personal joys I have in this church as your pastor is that we don't pass the offering plate. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's cool to pass the offering plate. We just don't do it. But you know what happens? If the offering plate doesn't come to the giver, guess what's going to happen? Guess what invariably happens? The giver will come to the offering plate. I inevitably have people come up and say, how do I give to this church? I love when that happens. <laughs> I love when that happens. The giver will always figure out how to give, right? The giver will always find a way to give because they have a stirred heart. Their hearts are moved. And I want to tell you as a principle, this church stands on this principle of giving. Even though we're in our infancy and we have a long way to go, in calendar 2005 and calendar 2006, this church, from the offerings that came in, we gave out. We gave back out 15% and 20% respectively. Because we believe we need to model this. And we give these monies to ministries, other ministries. Uh, ministries that translate uh, great Christian books into Italian. We, we, we support uh, a mission work in, in Burma. Okay? We, we do a number of things. And so we feel like it's important as le the leadership of this church to model this truth for the body. You know, you see a lot of things as a pastor. <laughs> We had, a, we had a family come through the church uh, some time ago. They're no longer here. And, and uh, great family. I loved them. And uh, I, I did. Uh, and they were real plugged into the church. They, they showed up for everything. They did everything. They, were, they participated in everything. But they never gave anything to this church. They never brought an offering to the Lord in this place. And friends, that doesn't bother me from the standpoint of cash flow. It, it grieves my soul that they don't know God any better than that. 
And I, I thought, I can't go, because I had gone two and a half years without preaching about money. And I realized, because I don't want anyone to ever think that's what we're about. And so I didn't even mention it for two and a half years here. And then I realized, I need to teach. God tells me, Jim, you need to teach my people how to give. My people need to give. My people need to learn how to give because I'm Jehovah Jireh. They need to know they can trust me and give. Last week I got a call from a man who was in this church early on. He's gone. Uh, he wasn't a Christian when he was here, and he's still not a Christian. <laughs> but you know what he did when he was here? He used to give. And uh, I never really understood that, but praise God. Praise God. Well, he called me last week, and he wanted to catch up. I hadn't talked to him in a long time. He says, man, how are the church finances, right? And uh, I said, well, God's really challenging us, man. God's really challenging us to step out in faith. And we're trusting the Lord. And uh, this guy says, well, you need to tell me how to give again because I want to give. He said, you know, I'm still not sure about coming to Christ. We talk about this, you know, on occasion. We trade a few emails. He says, I'm still not sure about it. He said, I'm still seeking the Lord on this. But he says, I'm pretty sure I heard the truth at the International Church of Milan. And so I want to give an offering. I want to give an offering to this work. Uh, unbeliever. Giving to this work. Uh, that makes your heart jump as a pastor. That makes your heart jump. I made a commitment to the congregation uh, when we first started here, all six of them. And I told them, I said, I will never preach a sermon asking for money. I, I don't ask for money. I think it's unseemly for a pastor to ask for money. So I don't ask for money. I told them this is what I would do. And if I did my job, I would never have to ask for money. Because what I would do my commitment was, was, to them was to hold up Jesus Christ and to say, see how beautiful He is. See how stunning He is. See how spectacular He is. See how magnificent He is. See how wonderful He is. See how awesome He is. See how breathtakingly desirable He is. And I told them, if I do my job, the people's hearts would be stirred and they would be moved and they would give. They would give. In fact, they would not be able to not give. <laughs> they would not be able to not give. That's our fundraising strategy in this church. To learn God correctly. To learn that He's Jehovah Jireh. And that He expects His children to use His arithmetic and that He will provide. C.S. Lewis says, if you're doing your sums wrong, you're going to get the wrong answer every time. And he says, when you discover that you're doing your sums wrong, the best thing to do is to stop and start over. And I'm going to challenge some of you in this room. Some of you in this room probably need to stop how you're doing your sums with God, and you need to start over. And that's the challenge for you tonight and for me. You need to start using your Father's arithmetic. And I'll close with the words of Jesus. Give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured back to you. Let's pray together.
Oh, Father, forgive us. I know I'm guilty. I've not been as free with what you've entrusted me with as you would like. I have not always used your theorem. I have not always done my sums by your arithmetic. I have not plugged Jehovah Jireh into my formula. And oh God, I pray for your forgiveness. I pray that you would teach me and maybe some in here how to be like that widow in Mark chapter 12. I don't understand that kind of giving. But Father, I want to learn. I want to learn how to give like that. I want to, I, because I know what that means. I know it means that you're the most real and important and dear and precious person in that woman's life. And I want it to be the same for me. Lord, if there's anyone here using the world's math, I pray that you will convict us of it. Father, we would, we would genuinely, genuinely start living like true sons and daughters of Jehovah Jireh. Father, you can be trusted and you will provide. You will provide for your children. You are involved in the lives of your children. You are paying attention in the lives of your children. That you will bring aid and support into the lives of your children. That you will make yourself known and alive and real and tangible in the lives of your children. Lord, may we learn, may we learn to trust you in that. And Father, may we become extravagant givers just like you are. Irrepressible givers. Inexhaustible givers. Because that's how you teach us. Give, and it will be given unto you. Oh God, may we learn this truth, and may we live this truth. For the glory of your Son, in this place, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing our closing chorus.